episode of Fringe Voyage. My name is John and I will be your guide on this trip into the Fringe. Tonight we are heading back to talk to Denise and finish our interview that we had started on the last episode and there's been some interesting things going on since that um, as you'll hear in the interview. She brings up a particular stone that is in a graveyard. I went up to check out this stone and see what she was talking about. And over the last couple of weeks, it has sent me on a journey. And I'm still learning uh, about what it could possibly be. There are possibly Masonic ties to it. Uh, nothing, obviously, has been confirmed. But... I'm looking into it, and uh, there's definitely uh, an air of mystery going on with this rock. Um, but in the rest of this interview, uh, we're going to be talking about some links to Jesse James. We'll be talking about UFO sightings, Mothman, and just a bunch of other interesting historical facts about St. Albans and everything that you know, there is to get around there, and so, I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This podcast was made possible by the folks at Glendora Soap. If you've been wanting to try a new soap that doesn't have all the harsh chemicals found in store-bought soap, then you need to check out Glendora Soap. They are a small, family-owned business located in Lewisburg, West Virginia. They make all of their products from natural ingredients from things like shea butter and hemp seed oil. Everything is handmade in small batches. Glendora Soap also makes other bath and body products. So go to their website at www.glendorasoap.com and order your new Bath & Body products today and start pampering yourself because you deserve it. I enjoy all facets of the paranormal. So that uh -huh. includes cryptids and UFO stuff and things like that. Do you have any stories of cryptids by chance? Well, I will tell you this, the moth, and you're going to have to define cryptids for me in a minute, but I want to tell you this, okay. the Mothman was spotted twice in St. Albans. Okay. Two of his official sightings were here, one by an older housewife who was in her 40s or 50s at the time, mm -hmm. in her front yard, she saw him. Oh, wow. And then two girls saw him on Route 60, and they said they ran all the way home. It was about three miles. They just didn't stop running until they got home. I can't say I blame them. I don't blame them either. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. We've also had 
several, I used to work for Charleston newspapers and I've always had the same interest that you do in yeah. the unexplained, I guess yeah. is what we could call it. Um, so I did a lot of searches because what I, my job there was to enter keywords mm -hmm. into the database for searching okay. back in the early days of AOL and all that fantastic technology. Awesome. And so I had a lot of free time on my hands there. So I did a search for St. Albans and UFO mm -hmm. and found that there were at least four UFO sightings here. Um, oh, wow. And I'm going to tell you uh, that this is something I have not publicized a whole lot, but mm -hmm. my family actually saw one, my sister, my mother, mm -hmm. one of my best friends and I. And we talk about it all the time on High Street mm -hmm. in St. Albans. And we don't know what it was. It's truly an unidentified flying yeah. object, which is what UFO means. You know, and a lot of people think when you say UFO, unidentified flying object, that you're um, you're automatically right. ET phone home. You know, aliens. That is not technically the case. In every case, it is exactly what it says. It is an unidentified flying object. Right. Right. I was about 10 when this happened, and uh, my sister was six, and um, my mom, not a drinker, so it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, any other um, form of imagination right. creation. Um, so, and my best friend was 11, so she was so astonished, she stopped dead in the middle of the road, John, mm -hmm. and... Um, to investigate we didn't walk over to it we just sat there and basically stared at it for five minutes we were mesmerized wow. it was a cigar shaped silver mm -hmm. with red lights coming like beaming down to the ground right. on it and um, she said I should have stayed there longer <laughs> but at that point I just needed to get home and I was afraid a yeah. car would come I mean what do you do like, <laughs> right <laughs> it, it probably is a <clears throat> psychologically thinking your flight or fight should have kicked in right you know and sometimes like when you see something that alien yeah you're you don't know what to do our response was freeze obviously right. <laughs> but we eventually yeah. went home and um really didn't talk about it again mm -hmm. until probably five years ago when now, we were all together at my house when when was this like it would have been the um, mid to early 1980s. Okay. Yeah. Now, something that's always kind of made me wonder about any type of UFO sightings in this area is we have a really big power plant. John Amos John in Amos. Winfield. In yeah. Winfield. Yeah. And I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I'm sure there's a lot of power coming out of that thing. but I'm sure uh, there is. You know, uh, I yeah. don't know. We don't have any... Other than, I guess, maybe the C-130s up at the airport, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any military bases around here, is there? Um, no, but we do have an armory in St. Albans, less than a mile from where we saw this. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. And, that, and that's, of course, how my dad tried to explain it away. Oh, really? Like, probably something from the armory. Yeah. My mom was like, it was nothing from the armory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... You know, definitely the whole, uh, all of the, the UFO yeah. thing, especially now, it, they're coming out with a lot more. It seems like they're a little more uh, loose with the information, yes. you know, letting the information get out and stuff. You're starting to see a lot more stuff come from the government, you know, yeah. talking about, you know, these, like you said, there a lot of them are like the cigar or tic-tac-shaped yes. crafts. Yep, so. that's, that's definitely what, what we saw. Um, I did 
I will share this with you. Mm-hmm. We had a unique visit in here. We have an open house at this historical society the first Saturday of every month okay. from 10 to 2. And my friend and I were in here. Um, usually no one, very few people come, so mm-hmm. we just go through old books because we're both kind of history nerds, right? right? And um, we were about halfway through our time, so it was about noon, and we had a couple come in, and the gentleman asked us if we had any old diaries. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my mind goes to history, so I said, yes, we have the journals of Molly Hansford Rust and her sister, Victoria Hansford Taze. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kept extensive diaries during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, I need way older um, journals. I was like, well, we don't have anything other than that. But he uh, had found two parts of what was a giant, and he showed us this, a giant circle of rock mm-hmm. that had what looked like ancient carvings on them. Hmm. I've got some photos I can send you that he sent, that he let us take. Okay. Um, and he was under the belief, and I believe they mean something because they fit mm. together. Right. I mean, you could tell if he found them all, they would form a circle. Right. A giant circle. Mm. Probably, I'm trying to think of a good uh, description, but uh, but huge. I can't think of anything yeah. circular that I can tell you that's humongous, but bigger than, way bigger than like a logo at the middle of a football field. Okay. Probably three times that size. Okay. And he kept them in a big suitcase. So he pieced them together for us on this turntable that he had. And, I mean, we were just in awe because at first we kind of thought, mm. oh, yay, you know, yeah. someone's coming. And because he was asking about things like that, about mm. paranormal and UFOs and ancient history. Mm. And, you know, I said, showed him the arrowheads that we have here and the other in Native American artifacts. He said, no, no, way before that. And he's convinced, and you know, I don't know any merit to this, but... He's convinced that West Virginia was kind of the playground to the Sumerian gods mm-hmm. with all of the uh, mountains and things, that they were giants that roamed the earth mm-hmm. and that they had left these tablets here. Yeah. And so that, it was, I, I really was very skeptical until I saw the parts of that circle. I started the searching after he um, told us about it. When, when I saw those rocks, I was just blown away you know there's a i guess there is a hypothesis out there that sasquatch bigfoot you know whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. is a possible link to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. the the nephilim or you know ancient right i guess alien cultures that could have been here he had three rocks so can you kind of explain what was on those rocks it just like looked like an ancient language it almost looked like what you'd see on the cave drawings that they found you know Mm. in the petroglyphs and things like that but but not exactly that it was definitely because chris and i we were searching Mm. you know for languages it's definitely a language we could not find symbols that we couldn't find because we did some Google image searches and mm. things like that. But I, I will tell you, and we told him, and he went there. I don't know the follow-up to that because I haven't heard from him since, but up at Taze Hill Cemetery, which I'm on the board of, and my, I've got six generations buried there, there is what I'm, I'm certain and most people are certain is an Indian mound okay. at the top of that cemetery, yep. about in the center. And um, I'm trying to think of my directions here, sorry. I guess it would be about 
10 feet north of that mm-hmm. um, toward Lincoln County. So if I'm bad at directions, at least you know. Yeah. There is a marker that looks like an upside-down baby coffin. Okay. And at first, it's so precise and so detailed and perfect mm-hmm. that from at first glance, you would believe it was cut mm-hmm. by modern tools. But when you look, you can see it was not. It's not exactly perfect. There's right. some some edging, and, mm-hmm. and that, and you can tell it was not done by any modern tools. Right. When you look at it a little more closely, and on that marker, there is a figure that's a triangle. Mm-hmm. It looks like a stick man, but his head is a triangle, and mm-hmm. he has an X for arms. So okay. basically, there are four arms. Okay. And if you and there's a little notch in the top of that marker and a circle that would be built big enough the circle would to hold like a a flare i believe and um so again i have an active imagination john but Mm. when i was a child my great grandmother would take me to that cemetery all the time because her husband was buried there and her in-laws and even her grandparent in-laws so we would go there, and I found that particular marker, and I asked her about it. I said, Granny, what is this? Because there's no words on it, just that symbol mm-hmm. and the notch and the circle. And it actually looks like you should be able to open it, like there's a an opening, but you can't. It's just right. made to look that way. And she said that she asked that same thing uh, to her husband's father, who had grown up in that area. I think he was born in the 1840s or 50s, something like that. Mm -hmm. The first burial at Taze Hill was in the 1830s. And he said it had been there his entire life, and no one had ever been able to tell him where it came from. Oh, wow. Now, you said, like, you said there's a a circle in it that looks like it holds a flare? Looks like it holds uh, a stick, maybe. Or like a candle? Or a candle. But, again... We know that they're, like, from here to South Charleston, um, we do have a map of this somewhere around here, but uh, archaeologists believe that there were at least 50 mounds between St. Albans and South Charleston. Mm -hmm. That's not a long, and we're only 12 miles from Charleston itself, so that's probably a 10-mile stretch. And so this is very high up on a hill, Mm -hmm. and I actually wondered if it was used for communication purposes, but I I don't know, obviously. Um, You know, the sound... It almost, too, sounds like it could be something for uh, solstices. Yes. We visited there, actually, on the summer solstice two Mm. years ago, um, because it was COVID and we Mm. couldn't get together very often, but this was outside, so it was a little bit different. Um, We visited at that point, um, just kind of interested, joking around about, Mm. you know, what happens if we get transported back to the 1700s? I said, don't worry, I'm related to all of them. We'll right. be safe. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I do I do wonder that. But um, the notch that I was referring to mm-hmm. points directly to the center of the mound. Okay. So I almost wonder if it's a marker showing, mm-hmm. you know, that possibly that symbol was like a word for chief or their right. symbol for chief showing that someone important is buried it's in that right. mound. Was there? Hmm. Yeah. If I win the lottery, I'm going to get a, a camera that can take pictures through the dirt, John. Right. Don't worry. I'll let you know. Yeah. You'll be the first to know, yeah. and we'll know what's in there. But um, oh, yeah. but I, I kind of love the fact that it's unexcavated. Yeah. 
you know, untouched. Yeah. I kind of like that. Um, but the entire board uh, believes it's a, a Native American mound, mm -hmm. as does everyone. But that marker has mystified me. I'll send you a picture of it for sure. Yeah, is is it there to like go to? Can I see it? If I absolutely, go? that yeah. cemetery is open from dawn to dusk. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely. It's on Coal River Road. Coal River Road. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. I know that's it. I got a. Yeah. There's a guy that works with us that lives up that way. And if you want to, if you ever want to go there, just contact me, and I'll, I can lead you straight to that marker. Okay. Um, I usually like to walk around and look around and see. That's and, it's a fascinating cemetery, and I, I know I'm a little biased mm -hmm. um, because my family is buried there, yeah. but and I'm on the board. But um, something really interesting in St. Albans history that I'm surprised doesn't have any paranormal effects lingering from it. Mm -hmm. Although we don't know for sure, I guess, because uh, no one's ever there at night. Right. Um, St. Albans only lynching occurred there. Yes. It was a vigilante justice lynching, mm -hmm. and. Uh, they had killed an 18-year-old farmer's son. These okay. two ruffians, three ruffians, rather, from Lincoln County. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a much longer story to it. But they captured them because the law had them at a hotel till they could catch the train to Charleston for mm -hmm. their trial, okay. where they probably would have hung anyway, right. at least the two brothers. They had a, a partner in crime who did not get lynched. He was kind of what we would now call a special needs person. Now, what time frame is this in? This is 1874. Okay. I know 1884. Sorry, 1884. Okay. So late 1800s. Um, yes, late 1800s. And their goal was actually to become part of the Jesse James gang. Oh, man. Now, Jesse was dead by then, but Frank wasn't. So mm -hmm. they were going to rob a farmer out at Browns Creek, a um, very wealthy farmer. Um, and he had just sold some cattle for about $3,000, mm -hmm. which in 1884 That's was a money. fortune. Yeah. And... Um, they knew him. They had worked with him. He took them in when they needed mm. assistance. Their father had died, and he gave them jobs and food and clothes. And right. That's why it angers me what they did. Right. So they, they blacked their faces out, them and their friend uh, Charlie Spurlock, and went to Mr. Wood's home. Well, he was sitting there reading his Bible in front of the fire, mm. rocking in his uh, back to the rocking chair right. once again, <laughs> and um, had no idea anything was happening. They break in the home and demand his money. Mm -hmm. He said, I only have 84 cents, mm -hmm. which was a lie, but a lie that saved his money. Right. And um, the son, his son, um, I believe his name was Alvin or Albert. I've heard it as both. Mm -hmm. But um, his son ran for help. His brother was on the next farm over, William. Mm -hmm. okay. And they shot him in the back while he was running for help. Oh, and gosh. he died. Right. Mr. Wood, though, didn't know any of that at the time, and he picks up his rocking chair and starts fighting them off with his rocking oh, chair. Man. Yes, his daughter Cleopatra, she's my favorite St. Albans character now. Wow. Uh, she's a total badass. Yeah. Comes down, here's the commotion, comes down the stairs, a pistol in each hand and a <laughs> shotgun under her arm. Jeez. And chase, she, this 19-year-old yeah. woman, chases off these three full-grown men. Yeah, she chased them for about five miles before the posse caught up with her. Wow. Yeah, they rounded up a posse. She you know. was uh, dedicated. Oh, man. She, she, yeah, she was, she was going to get them. That's right. <laughs> well, because she was mad, too. You know, yeah. her family had been kind to these boys right. when nobody else was. And how they repay? They shot her father three times and killed her brother. Uh. Tried to rob them. The other thing Mr. Wood did, besides fight them off with the chair until, you know, Miss Cleopatra came right. downstairs with the firearms, um, 
he also released his honeybees. He uh. was a beekeeper. And so <laughs> they said when they found these three would-be yeah. robbers, uh, they were covered in bee stings. Cleopatra had shot one of them so badly that the other two had to carry him back to their hideout in Lincoln County. Um, but eventually... The sheriff got to them. The posse first, they brought them back to the wood house. And, of course, they're grieving. They think Mr. Wood is dying. Uh, yeah. The son is dead. He's 18 years old. He was a fantastic kid by all accounts, so full of promise. And so the family is heartbroken. Mrs. Mrs. Wood and her daughters, um, Althea and Cleopatra, mm-hmm. and William, the brother, they're heartbroken. So the posse brings those boys back and says, here you go. Let's kill them right now. Yeah. I mean, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was the law of the land those days, you know. Um, Lincoln County area, which that was on the line of, was, I mean, just barely, barely even a county. And it was very, very much uh, considered the Wild West, which is hilarious to think of West Virginia being considered that way. But, I mean, Cleopatra with her pistols, that's how I think of it. And um, so... Mrs. Wood said, no, there's been enough killing here today. Right. Because she thought her husband was dying and her son was definitely dead. And uh, she said, let the law deal with them. That's yeah. the right way, right way to handle it. So they took him to what's called the Majestic Hotel, where the Loop is now in St. Albans. Okay. Uh, Angela's on the rivers across from yep. it. And um, held them there. So they go out on the porch. The mob, though says no they're going to escape there's one lawman three criminals so they form a human chain 500 men women and children approximately surround this hotel wow. holding hands to make sure that the criminals do not escape wow. I, I love that that is awesome yeah and then they come out onto the they're drinking they're partying they're yeah. dancing they're singing they're drunk yeah. and uh that infuriates the crowd so the two brothers come out on the porch and one of them says, I want to confess. Well, the lawman says, okay, because that makes his job a lot easier. Yeah. He has no burden of proof if he confesses. Yeah. So he says, you know, our gang has killed at least 24 men. We've robbed dozens of more. Yeah. And um, we're so many members strong, etc." And then one of them, one of, someone in the crowd said, why did you kill uh, Mr. Wood's son? And um, he said, you know why I kill people? This kid was 19 years old. He said, I like to hear the sounds they make as they die. That's disgusting. It was disgusting. And he said, and I'd do it again. So the peacekeeping mob, the ones who were just there to stop them from escaping, obviously turned into an angry mob at that that point. It would be hard not to. It would. I mean, it's your friend's son. And um, the story just heartbreaks me. Now... The lawman was smart enough when he heard that. He knew that they were going to take those boys. Yeah. There was nothing he could do. So he hid Charlie Spurlock, their friend who was special needs, in the little coal house out behind the hotel. Right. So that they could not get to Charlie, which I think was probably the right thing to do right. in that case. So they, they took them across what was then the Coal River Bridge, very near where the Coal River Bridge is now, and marched them up to Taze Hill Cemetery. So it was about a mile um, walk. Okay. They grabbed a preacher on their way so he could give them the last rites. And um, and by all accounts, uh, they they died. They were hung without any remorse given for what they'd done. Yeah. I mean, when you admit to doing it and then pretty much say, uh, do it again if you give them yeah. a chance. He said that exactly. Where is there room for 
Right. You know, like... They were proud of their deeds. Yeah. And I I will tell you, they asked if they had any last requests, Mm. and they said, please send our bodies to our mother, Mm. Jensie Hill in Lincoln County. So a local farmer um, who was also a blacksmith, they did everything back then, you know, he made two coffins for them and uh, put the bodies in the coffins, and they drove them out to Jensie Hill's house. Well, when they when the group knocked on the door, she said, I know why you're here. I've got two more boys right here. Why don't you just kill them too? <laughs> she was a very hard woman, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Mr. Brian, the farmer, actually buried them on his land, yeah. the Brian, Brian Farm on Cool River Road, which I... I thought it was a very charitable act, yeah. given that he was very good friends with his family yeah. and um, gave those boys a final resting place. Um, and that story, I had never heard it in my entire life, found it in this book uh, by Dean Braley called Cole's Mouth, The History of St. Albans, West Virginia. Right. Just a paragraph mentioned it. Mm-hmm. So I went researching it, John, and it is found in over... 250 accounts ranging from California to Paris, France, oh, wow. newspaper accounts about that. I know. St. Albans, West Virginia. Wow. And, and the thing is, we hide these stories because we're ashamed of them, I think. And that's, you know, to get that kind of press. Yes. You know, word just didn't travel. Like nowadays, it's unheard of. We have technology nowadays. I mean, if you want to find out what's going right. on in, you know, a little town in China, all you got to do is Google it. We have too much information, yeah. access yeah, to information. Of, you know, a lot of they didn't have enough. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have enough, but for that to be published everywhere yeah. is is pretty pretty crazy. That it's range awesome. amazed me. So, yeah. Like I said, I found from California to Paris, it was a big story in London. It appeared more times in London papers than it did in Kentucky papers. It was most in West Virginia, but then London was the second most um, where it appeared. Now... You had mentioned that these guys wanted to be with Jesse James and Frank. Frank, James. yeah. Now, you had mentioned also a little bit about the cemetery, about it having that mm-hmm. strange marker. Now, I don't think this has anything to do with each other. However, it is kind of interesting. Jesse James ran with a group called the Knights of the Golden Circle. You know, have you heard of these guys? I have not. They are, they're kind of like a Knights Templar-esque okay. type yeah. thing, but for for the South. Right. And basically what the thoughts are that they have done is, is they created this, I guess, Confederacy special forces, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they would hide money and caches oh, all over the place. Interesting. And the way that you... The way that they found it was they had these maps that were encoded with secrets. So, like, you know, you would you would see on the map, okay, there's a rock with a uh, you know, marking. So you look for this marking, and that marking will tell you which direction to go. Wow! And uh, so it's very interesting. So check out the it's it's it, Jesse James and the Knights of the Golden Circle. I will definitely check and that out. That's interesting because there's some people out there that that are looking for some of the treasures and they oh, I'm sure. yeah. run into some of these maps and stuff like that. And, you know, <clears throat> being where we are, mm-hmm. you know, I've always, and I've said this on the last couple of podcasts that we've talked about the civil war, mm-hmm. West Virginia is the northernmost Southern state and the southernmost Northern state. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, we're below the Mason Dixon line, but we seceded to the union side. Right. We were on the right side of the war for half the, the winning yeah. side and the losing side for another half. Yeah, yeah. so you know, there's a lot of 
you've got both sides hanging out in this area a lot right and you know for there to be you know something like you never know and but that's one of the things that they said uh that i remember seeing when they were talking about the knights of the golden circle is a lot of their clues and stuff started cemeteries because that would ensure that the monuments and stuff would still be there at a later time when they were able to uh, to get like the directions because you know their ultimate goal i guess was the south will rise again right so interesting and they needed you need money to do that that's so. fascinating we actually have another little uh connection here in st albans to the jesse james gang mm-hmm. it's interesting you'll remember i talked about the herford house right mm-hmm. and that mrs herford was from missouri yes. well she hailed from the same county where the james gang was hiding out for a while Interesting. her father was a preacher mm-hmm. parson roth they mm-hmm. called him and again i re- also learned this in the cole's mouth book but uh she was down at her husband's general store one day and this was this was right about the time that the huntington bank robbery happened whether that was mm-hmm. done by the james gang or not right. I, I know that's debatable but it was about that same time and her husband uh, owned the general store. She was down there just checking out the business. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say she was kind of a nosy lady, but she was probably kind of a nosy lady, right. you know. And um, so she was down. That She came into the store, and there were two men with bandanas covering their faces. Pre-COVID, so, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> hundred years or more pre-COVID. This is weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they left as soon as she came in. And a gentleman who was hanging out on Main Street heard them say, we've got to get out of here. That's Parson Roth's daughter, and she might recognize us. Hmm. Yeah. So later, you know, she did some thinking, and she believes that one was Frank Younger. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. How else would they know? Right. Parsons Roth. I mean, he's from Missouri. Yeah. You know, so it's not like he was a local celebrity. Definitely a link, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting. It is. You know, and that... Uh, you know, I guess that that could put them at in this area during that time frame. I don't know if uh, I don't know if there's are there any like concrete things that you've heard of that put them in this area or. Well, you know, I'd have to do some research on that, John, because I don't know what their supposed job was right before mm-hmm. the um, yeah the Huntington bank robbery. Mm-hmm. However, I do know that trains you know were one of the things that they robbed and this was a train hub at that yeah. time so yeah. it's 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 not with it it's not outside the scope of possibility right. for sure right. that they would have been around here i want to maybe take a step back sure to the story uh, or to the back to the little tombstone that has mm-hmm. the symbol in it mm-hmm. uh you know we was talking about the old um, i guess in uh, native american culture uh-huh. that was in the area now i lived i lived in northwest colorado and there is a lot of petroglyphs from, you know, that that era. Right. And there are some carvings in those rocks and some paintings in those rocks that really make you question what these people were seeing. Yeah. To make them, to motivate them mm-hmm. to paint these things. Because it wasn't like, you know, I don't think that it was just a... Uh, I don't think it was just a, uh, yeah. Now, see, that is the kind of stuff that they would see on that Knights of the Golden Circle. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. That, like that kind of stuff. And I'll have to look up a little bit and tell you 
and show you. But sure, I'll a, send this to you. I'm trying to think. There is. Uh, are you familiar with Josh Gates? He does uh, Expedition Unknown. It's a TV show on History Channel. No, Travel I've Channel. not seen that one, but I, I'm sure I'd love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good. Like this guy, like he just goes to. You would probably really. I'm surprised you haven't heard about it. You would really like it. Being it's in called History Unknown. Uh, no, Expedition Unknown. Expedition Unknown. I'm and, making uh, a note of that. <laughs> and I think one of the episodes is. I'm pretty sure one of the episodes he goes out with the guys looking for uh, the treasure from the Knights of the Golden Circle. And oh, wow. They, they kind of show him some of the maps and stuff, and they do have have symbols like that. But, wow. you know, you never know. That could be that could be pointing north where two rivers intersect. It could be telling right. that. Or it could be, like you said, you know. Telling who's buried there. Telling who's buried there. You know, maybe. Tons of possibilities. You know, looking at, like, like uh, one of the one of the important things I've always heard uh, about stories that came from a historical source is right now the stories may not necessarily make sense to us. You have to disconnect yourself and put yourself into the time and in and think about the people that they're telling these stories to in mm-hmm. context with the time and the way things were then. Right. And it may make more sense to you, you know, and I guess like a lot of things, a lot of like, you know, and I'll use the Bible, for example, uh-huh. uh, you know, when they were thinking of stories, I guess, for the Bible, well, maybe that's not a good one. I shouldn't say that. It'll, it'll, <sighs> Like fire and brimstone and mm-hmm. going to hell and burning forever. Right. Like to people in those times, that was like the worst thing that you could think of. And so obviously that is what's going to make it scary. Right. So <clears throat> thinking of the context of when something was written and who it was written for and why it was written mm-hmm. is very important uh, when taking stories into consideration. Right. And, you know, for all we know, that picture you showed me of that, of that, you know, that that one symbol, you know, that mm-hmm. could have been that person's mark, right? You know, like, A signature of sorts. Yeah, you know, could yeah. have been hanging over their house. Like that's right. how you know this person. Like yeah, this symbol lives here. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had a lot of, of I've heard a lot of theories about what that symbol might be. Interestingly enough. Um, my great-grandmother didn't have any, mm-hmm. and she had a story and a theory for everything. Right. So it's, and again, I thought it was interesting that she was inquisitive about it as mm-hmm. well, you right. know, to her father-in-law asking, um, asking, you know, what it represented. Now, one interesting thing to note is that her father-in-law that she asked about it was very likely part of that lynch mob that I mentioned yeah. to you. Um, and... I do, I do believe, John, that we the things that we're interested in were interested in for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason, and um, I had that story stuck in my brain for two years before yeah. I finally found out that my great great grandfather um, was the best man at Mister Wood's daughter's wedding. Oh wow! So he was friends with the family. There's yeah. no way he was not in that. Yeah. Uh, he was in his twenties at the time it happened. Oh, well, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But, you know, we just go back to what I was just saying. Like, yeah. 
you look at the time that that happened and mm-hmm. who it was and what had happened and what was said. Yeah. What they did, like you said, was probably was probably actually pretty good for what they did. What the crime they committed, right. the way they were treated was probably good as opposed to throwing them in prison and right. probably they would have probably been starved, mm-hmm. beaten. Then they would have went to trial. Yep. And then in the end, they probably would have just been hung anyway. If they survived up to the trial. Yeah. Because that was in question. Um, honestly, the the lawman was afraid. He wasn't afraid of a lynch mob here, but he didn't know that they'd be bragging about their misdeeds. Yeah. Um, he was afraid they'd be captured and killed on the train ride. Yeah. Actually. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, fast. I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff, it sounds like, that's going on here. You know, and, Yeah. Uh, We're not the sleepy little town that we appear to no, be. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. I mean, and St. Albans is one of those towns where, you know, you kind of, if you blink, you miss it. You yep. know, it's not a mm-hmm. huge town. No. Nope. Uh, but it is definitely, uh, you know, it is not Charleston, you know. Right. It, it, it is its own place, and I think... When when you come into this area from out of town, like I think like Dunbar, Charleston, Canal City, all of those places like feel like they can be lumped into Charleston. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah. And uh, but fine, I'm finding out. You know, like there are very very individual histories in yes. each, each section, and that's uh, and they're all fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you a place near here, and I don't know if you've investigated it yet or uh, plan to use it in your podcast, but you know, I'd be happy to talk to you about it too, but there are probably people that know far more than I do, mm-hmm. is the uh, Dutch Hollow Wine Cellars. Okay. Is that on your list? Uh, no, I've not heard that. It is a fascinating place mm-hmm. with some, if you do some research online, you'll find some people mm-hmm. who have said, They've seen and experienced strange things. But in the 1850s, a man named Thomas Friend um, had some scientists testing the soil, even back then, oh, wow. in the Dunbar mm-hmm. area. It's, it's between Institute and Dunbar. And um, they said it was the best winemaking soil they had ever seen. So he started a, a vineyard in the hopes of creating right. a winery. And he did in 18. 18- 60, I believe, 1859 or 1860, he opened his winery, mm-hmm. and the, the ruins of the wine cellars are still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, of course, it closed with the Civil War, so he only operated for a couple years, but right. people were touting his wines, because they were even shipped to Europe, mm-hmm. and they were touting it as some of the best they'd ever had. Right. But many people believe that the winery business that Thomas Friend created mm-hmm. was just a front for the Underground Railroad because really? he was an abolitionist. Okay. And, you know, back in those dark wine cellars, you go in and, I mean, no matter what you believe, you'll yeah. get a feeling in yeah, that area. Yeah, if you really, really wanted to hide somebody in a quick, in a, in a, in a quick hurry, yeah. get in the cask. Oh, right, exactly, <laughs> right. And and there's a stream there, yeah. so you could even do some hiding there but um i suspect that area you know would have been frequented by native americans as well because of those shawnee mounds you know that within a mile of that location i mean it's it's a fascinating historic place but probably with some pretty interesting 
tales that go along with it. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I, I'm a chef by trade uh-huh. and right. I've been all over the place. I've been, you know, I've worked in Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Rhode Island, West Virginia, Virginia, Montana, mm-hmm. North Dakota, South Dakota, Colorado. Like mm-hmm. I've been a lot of places and I will tell you the best produce that I've ever had comes from Southern West Virginia. Like there, like you get a tomato that's been grown on the New River. Mm-hmm. It's the best. It's the best. It's. The I don't disagree. Yeah. I grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. and um, we grew most of our own, all of our own vegetables and a lot of our own meat. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the first time I went to a friend's house, John, and she had canned peas in her mm-hmm. pantry, and I said, "Amy, how did you all make the make the labels for these peas?" Mm-hmm. She said, "What are you talking about?" I said. Did you print these? Did you all draw these? Yeah. And she just looked at me like I'd lost my mind. But I only knew fresh vegetables, right. you know. Yeah. But but you're right. Um, even if you go to another state and get the produce, yeah. it does not taste like West Virginia yeah. produce. Right. It, it, it doesn't. And, like, gosh, I guess, like, uh, Palisades in Colorado, they are known for, I mean, there are orchards there, peaches and cherries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. No, don't get me wrong. Peaches ain't bad, but <laughs> like the rest of the produce that comes out of there, yeah, West Virginia has it beat by mine. Well, even the peaches we grow in our backyard, yeah. which don't bloom every year because mm-hmm. of our weird weather like we're having now, yeah. um, and the, the frost gets the peach trees after they've bloomed, mm-hmm. but when they bloom, they're the best peaches I've ever had. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, something in the land. Yeah. You know, George Washington knew the value of this land too he owned most of what's now st albans three thousand acres i believe it was which got parceled off to his niece and nephew um alexandria washington spotswood and um which is another west virginia who's who name there was a governor by that name which i believe was her husband and um his nephew samuel washington who's actually buried here in st albans samuel is yep that is awesome yeah, we have so a. Th- it is a very rich uh, history. Yeah, it's most of West Virginia is like that, you yeah. know. Just we haven't. None of us have been very good at advertising it, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because we want to kind of keep our little yeah. secret as little known right, as it yeah. can be, yeah. or just because you know we haven't just haven't thought about tourism as an industry, yeah. which I believe is is West Virginia's gold yeah, mine. I, mean, I think a lot of people, you know, to a lot of people, it's just. Oh, yeah, that's stories from my grandpa told me. Right, like, you but we kind of do it. take it for granted. Yeah. You're right, because we've grown up with it. Yeah. As you know, as most people know, most West Virginians who live here now are native West Virginians. Yeah. Carbide's gone. People aren't really, um, you know, migrating into this area very much. But, um, but I believe you're right. We've heard the things so many times, time and time again. We assume everybody knows right. them. Yeah. And... And we also sometimes assume nobody would yeah. care, and I've learned that's not true. <laughs> yeah, you don't think of, you don't think of telling a story because you just assume everybody knows. Right, knows that. Sure, you everybody know. knows about Fort Tackett. I've yeah. had that thought before, and uh, uh, they don't. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come down here and meet me and uh, have a nice chat about the history of St. Albans and all the stuff that goes on here and some of the more spooky aspects of it. And, uh, you know, is there anything that 
you want to put out there? Like We do. It's stalbanshistory.com. It uh, definitely is in need of a refresh. Mm -hmm. However, one thing that your listeners can download there is a walking tour brochure that we have on uh, some of the more historic homes in St. Albans. So I would, would recommend that they look up that website. Also take a look for our Facebook page. That's where we'll post events or open houses okay. and, th and meetings and things like that. And that's just under St. Albans Historical Society WV. Okay. And then, um, John, I would also like them to look up the Historical Society's um, tour. It's called the St. Albans History and Mystery Tour. Okay. So we'd love to see you guys. Um, we'd love to welcome you to St. Albans. <laughs> now, is that the one thing, uh, the one Saturday a weekend? Because I was going to ask you about no. that. No. So this year, I believe we're going to offer it a couple weekends okay. in October. It, it's it's only in October right now. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's it's one of my favorite times. And yeah. no one has ever been disappointed by going on it. And it's a fundraiser yeah. for our historical society. Awesome. And we use that to fund things like our Young Explorers, mm -hmm. Young Historians Club that we have once a month. Right. And, we have education in the schools. We're hoping to get to every school this fall in St. Albans with a semester-long curriculum about the history of St. Albans. That is awesome. None of the spooky stories for the kids on that one. But we do have, we do tell every um, every October we have a spooky stories event for kids at Morgan's Kitchen on Route 60. Okay. So if they follow the Historical Society, they'll be able to see all of that fun awesome. stuff. And yeah, so you guys got a lot of lot of fun activities. We sure do, like. yep. And, uh, Definitely, you know, everybody needs to get out here and check it out and see it and, <laughs> you know, enjoy it and see what the what, what St. Albans has. You know, there's plenty Absolutely. of stuff around here to get into, it sounds like. Absolutely. So. It's a great town. Uh, I'm a little biased because my family's been here for centuries, but Understand. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Denise, we appreciate you. And, you know, definitely probably try to get you back on here sometime and maybe oh, get that. into some other stories. I didn't tell you all the stories. No. I held out on some, yeah, so no, no worries. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that 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 retains some of the mystery then. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, that'll be the teaser for part two. Well, thank you so much, John. I had a <laughs> yeah. good time chatting with you yeah. and hope you have a great day. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>